With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe with you today. Rob, how you doing, man? Doing well. Busy weekend, but a good weekend in uh, Hawkeye Nation. A busy weekend is is exactly right. Obviously, the the uh, the Iowa women uh, what won their thirtieth in a row at home at Carver Hawkeye Arena with a big win Sunday, a double overtime win. I know you were there. the The wrestling team had a couple of big dual wins, and then Friday night, the big win for the men against number twelve Maryland, and and that was. I did an instant reaction podcast after that. Uh, I I was so excited about that game. To me, must win was going too far with that, but it really did feel like after the loss at Nebraska earlier in the week, Rob, that I would needed to come out and uh, again. I I don't want to say they had to win that game, but you have to protect home court in the Big Ten if you're going to do anything, and you really needed to have a good showing and a good shooting night, and and they got all those things and a nice big win over Maryland. Yeah, I think it was Mar- Marv Levy who said World War II was a must-win, right? <laughs> and he the one that said, yes, <laughs> said that. Yes. Um, yeah, but I, I, I'm with you. And, uh, you know, it was we saw what happened on Tuesday at Nebraska, and then you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe there's just too many injuries. Maybe the, maybe the injuries have finally caught up with this team. And I, I think that was a fair um, question to ask because that was a bad Nebraska team that Iowa lost to. But – you also look at it four for 33 from three Wieskamp camp one for 10. You had to figure that's not going to happen again. I, you know, he's a better shooter than that. These guys are better shooters than that. I think the, the most, you know, encouraging thing that came out of Friday, Andrew was just that, that fight, that grit, mm-hmm. that effort, uh, they got behind early in that game, the Maryland. And, you know, I asked a few of the guys after the game, uh, you know, how do you bounce back from, you know, such a rough game in Lincoln to beat a top 15 team and not only beat a top 15 team really dominated them after that 19 to two run late in the first half really controlled that game. And and Luca Garza was just like, Hey man, we're resilient. We're, we're not going to fold. We're not giving it up on this season. And Wieskamp, I asked Wieskamp too. And he said, you know, we met after we got back from Lincoln and just said, we can go two ways here. We can listen to other people that on the outside that think the injuries are too much for us to overcome, or we can rally around and keep fighting. And we saw Friday that this, this team is ready to keep fighting. I loved that video that you shared of, of Wieskamp. Um, again, you can find all this content, everything Rob does at, at HawkeyeNation.com. But I love that, talking about that that uh, the meeting they had, and that in conjunction with a video you had of, of Luca Garza earlier in the week. Um 
or was it Garza? It was it was somebody saying I'm no, it was Creener, I believe. It was Creener. Yeah, yeah, Ryan Creener, you had saying, you know, some people will look at this and you know, look at you know, give excuses essentially. We're looking at this as as motivating. Um, especially for a guy like that who's in his senior season and it isn't going to just throw this season away as well, you know, some guys were hurt and and so we'll we'll chalk it up to a bad a bad year. The fight, I think you're exactly right. The fight that we saw out of this team on Friday night was was really good to see the bounce back. We're never going to see Joe Wieskamp shoot as poorly as he did in Lincoln. That being said, uh, do you think that did Fred Hoiberg find something in the way he played Luca Garza and kind of dared Iowa to beat him on the perimeter? And obviously Iowa was historically bad shooting that night, but is is that a blueprint that other Big Ten teams are going to look at and say, okay, if, if we are going to stop anybody – we can shut down Luca Garza at least to a to an extent, and and make the rest of the team beat us. And, and if so, is that an issue for Iowa? I think potentially it could be Andrew, but I think that was Nebraska's really only chance. And Fred pretty much admitted that after the game that we were going to sell out three, four guys on Garza and and make Iowa, you know, beat us from the outside, and. Like, like you just said, it was just an uncharacteristically bad shooting night for Iowa. I think if teams do that, they dedicate that much attention to Luka, Wieskamp's going to make them pay. And he did it the other night against Maryland, too, by taking it to the basket. That kind of got him going yeah. the other night. And Toussaint's starting. He had a rough beginning to the other night, but I really – that was another point I wanted to hit on. Fran took him out, and I asked Fran about this after the game, and Fran just said, I told him to settle down. And I think that was really a great move. He got Joe out, Joe Toussaint out. When he put him back in, he was settled down. And, and I think that was another step in his growth and his development. And he's a problem. I, I think for, for defenses, if they're going to focus that much attention on Luka on the inside, Joe has the ability to, to break teams down off that dribble and open things up for other guys. I look at it this way, Andrew. Iowa has two potential NBA players in Wieskamp and Garza. That's pretty good at this level. Mm -hmm. And if you can get contributions, you can receive contributions like they did the other night from, you know, Pemsel, Creener, the the role players. If they can play their roles around those two stars – this team still has a chance to do some nice things this season. Yeah, you, know, you talk about Tucson. I said the exact same thing on the Incident Reaction podcast because, yeah, he had those what, three or four early turnovers, uh, was taken out of the game, and then came in and, and did settle down, found a little bit of offense. He's able to get to the rim. The, the speed he has, the quickness he has, is something we haven't seen in a long time uh, at Iowa in a guard position. So, yeah, once he's able to kind of settle himself down, develop a little more of an offense, uh, I think you're exactly right. He's, he's going to be a pretty special player. Uh, also happened in those first few minutes. Fran got that technical. Uh, the same thing happened in Lincoln. It, it didn't. Uh, in Lincoln, it <laughs> sparked. It sparked him a little bit. It felt like obviously not enough to to win the game. Did, did do you did? I guess in the in the post game when you're talking to Fran, you're talking to the players. Was that brought up at all? Was that something that uh, was calculated by Fran to kind of you know get his guys going because it seemed to work. Yeah, that's a, you should have been here because we failed to ask that question. <laughs> and in hindsight, it probably should have been asked. Um, and it seemed to do, it, it did seem to, to uh, rally his team. They, they seemed to, to kind of feed off of that energy. And I don't, I wasn't in Lincoln, so I don't, I didn't have a feel for, you know, what he was doing, 
But the other night, and he, we all know he's had, you know, occasion to, to lose it and, and kind of get out of himself, that being Fran. I thought the other night was calculated. I thought because his assistants, all three of them were up around and, and pulling him back. But he didn't really need to be pulled back. I, I think it was he was trying to make a point the other night, but was still in control, mm. and that's okay with me. I, I like that energy, and I, I like that feistiness and that sense that I've got my players back. And if I don't like, if I don't, if I see something out there that's going on that I don't think is fair, I'm going to speak up. So I'm okay with with Fran controlled. Uh, you know, control, <laughs> controlled arguments <laughs> with the officials. It's when he kind of gets out of his head a little bit that there can be trouble. But I haven't seen that this season. Uh, yeah, that that was, um, again, such a big win for this team. Uh, I haven't seen the, the rankings yet for, for the AP poll. Those will be coming out here as we record this. So hopefully we'll have an answer on that uh, coming up here in, in the next few minutes. Once again, no C.J. Frederick on Friday night. Another guy who could really benefit from all the attention Luca Garza is getting. And, and a guy who was really the third option on this team through the first half of the season. Has that stress reaction, they're calling it, in his foot. Uh, short of a stress fracture. Uh, Fran said a couple of things last week, a couple different times. I think there was uh, one media availability, and and then in the post game in Lincoln, uh, dropping little little phrases like you know it doesn't look good, or you know if we have to shut him down, we will. And those were red flags to me, Rob, and and to me start thinking, man, it's this is going to be a prolonged absence for C.J. Frederick, and maybe even a thing where he doesn't get back this season. And and then what does that mean? What are the implications for that for this season? I know you just got off a a, a teleconference with Fran McCaffrey, and you were able to ask him about C.J. Frederick's um, progress and how he's handling everything. Uh, what what did you learn today from Coach McCaffrey? Yeah, it, uh, it was a positive, Andrew, compared to, as you said last week, where it was. And I, I think Part of that and of what he said up to today, up to today, excuse me, is that it's that stress reaction in the foot, which is an injury within the bone. And from my understanding is it's hard to get an MRI or an X-ray of that to really see what's going on in there. So I think there's quite a bit of unknown. Um, and I think initially the pain was such that you know, that's probably what led to maybe some skepticism on Fran's part of how his freshman would recover. But it looks like he's made some progress. And this is, a, I was just starting to transcribe the quote um, when we start before we started the pod. And the quote was, he's trying to do some things and see how it feels. He shot a little bit Sunday, but didn't do much. Mm. But he's at least back on the court testing it and seeing how it goes. So, Fran didn't rule him out for tomorrow, uh, tomorrow being Tuesday at Northwestern. I would be surprised if he returned that quickly. But this is a positive development. This the, Fran said today that he thinks he's going to be back this season. And whenever that happens, that's that's a big addition to get him back on this team. We talked before about you know having the, the two stars in, in Garza and Wieskamp. You ask Frederick back to that mix. Now, now we're talking. Now, now some, you know that that raises the expectations even higher. It does. That that that's so good to hear, Rob. Because I really like what I saw from this kid the the first half of the season. Uh, an, an element of his game that that I would just doesn't have out there right now outside of 
outside of Wieskamp. camp. You know, it just doesn't seem like Bakari Evelyn is going to be that guy to kind of step up and be a part of this offense. You feel like at some point they're going to need more than than Garza and Wieskamp to do the scoring. Uh, maybe not on a long term basis, but certainly within a game, if one or the other of them is having a rough night, as we as we've seen this season, um, you, you're going to need somebody to step up. I don't know who that is on this team right now. I would say it's C.J. Frederick if he's if he's able to go, and so that that's a really positive development. And here we are, Rob, almost ten minutes in, a little over ten minutes into this podcast, talking Iowa basketball, and we haven't mentioned or we've mentioned but haven't really talked about maybe the best player in the Big Ten at this point. And and I think it's just because now I just expect twenty and ten from Luca Garza every night. Yeah, he. I, you never like to say somebody's unstoppable because Nebraska did everything it could to stop him, and he still got sixteen and eighteen. <laughs> um, but he's he's consistently dominant, and as dominant as any big man that I've seen in whatever this is my twenty second or twenty third year covering Iowa basketball. He's just he. You look at him, and, and like the other night. I was like, well, maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe Stick Smith is going to be the guy that's able to, you know, he blocks a couple of his shots early, and Luca would, and I asked Luca about this after the game, and he's like, you know, I, I've I've known Smith since we were little, uh, played against him a lot. He knows my game. I just had to adjust, and I just decided that I'd go inside and use the rim, and he, you saw him do this a couple times on reverses to help me keep from having my shot blocked. Mm. And that's the thing with Luca. He is not a great athlete. I don't think any of us are going to mistake him for, you know, Kevin Durant or Michael Jordan or somebody like that. But he's such a cerebral player and smart. And he adjusts within games to what teams are doing against him. We saw that at Nebraska. He was able to get off once he figured out that once he got the ball, he had to go and not wait for that double team to get there. And he got some some nice, easy, quick baskets off of that. The other night, he adjusted to what Smith was doing to him, to him, and was able to get himself going that way. I just maybe we'll see it this year, Andrew, where a team figures out a way to stop him. But each game goes by, I'm becoming less and less sure that that's going to happen. It's really kind of incredible. I was reading a story. The Baltimore Sun had a story on Luca Garza this weekend. Don Marcus wrote it and talked a lot to to Luca's dad. And you you mentioned the athleticism, and we saw the. The miss dunk the other night, which uh, I'm sure he he's taking a lot of crap from his teammates about. Uh, his dad even said, "You know, Luca Luca will be the worst athlete on the floor in most games," and and that that can sound like an insult, <laughs> but what he's trying to say is he's. He's, it's the other aspects of his game. It's his intelligence. It's his body control. It's his toughness. Uh, he, he runs kind of weird, but he's one of the first guys up and down the court. Uh, he, he has this X factor and all of this other stuff. We saw that the play he made... I think it was Connor McCaffrey took a shot and it was it was an air ball and Luca's back was to the basket but he was able to corral it kind of behind his head and then do this reverse put in uh, and, and it's just it's it's plays like that and you're exactly right he's not the most athletic guy out there but he's got this body control and this basketball IQ he's able to seal off that that rim so well uh, he just does all of these things that. I think we all thought he was going to be good. Uh, we all saw it as a freshman even, but had no idea. I, I, I at least had no idea that this was in him at all. I, I would have never expected this kind of a season from Luca Garza. He and his dad may have been the only people that, that 
thought this was possible. <laughs> I know Fran loved him in recruiting, and and you know I he was a highly regard. He's one of the more highly regarded recruits that Fran's been able to get to Iowa City since he's been here this decade. Um, and you know Iowa beat Indiana, George, some good programs for him, and Fran got in really early and Don Marcus wrote about this in the story. And I've written about this before too. Luca was out of shape. He was, he was not in shape around his sophomore year of high school, kind of a pudgy guy. Um, and, and so he couldn't really utilize some of the skills, the, the, the knowledge, things like he was just too slow and he bared down, got himself in shape and then just as steadily developed and he came here because Fran believed in him when other coaches saw the pudgy guy, the guy that was overweight and couldn't get up and down the floor. And Fran just stayed on him and said, "You got it. Fran has kind of helped develop Lucas since he's been in high school. And now he's just continued. He has, you know, he has the nine-pound cyst removed last year mm-hmm. before last season. He's really developed his body and developed his game continually. He just does not stop. He understands angles, where to go for rebounds. He barely gets off the floor sometimes when he gets offensive and defensive rebounds, but he's so well positioned that he gets the ball. And that's just a really unique. It's as unique as somebody who's really super athletic. Hmm. Somebody that understands, has that high of an IQ, and can take advantage of knowledge of the game is, is really unique, and it's fun to watch. Iowa at Northwestern now, uh, Tuesday night, tomorrow night as we record this. Um, back on the road again, you know, just just three home games since the weekend before Thanksgiving is is pretty remarkable in, in a non-conference slate for a, a Big Ten team, but that is that is the situation Iowa finds itself in back on the road. Uh, Northwestern is not a good team. They're 6-9, they're 1-4 and, nine, and four in the Big Ten. They, they just beat Nebraska at home uh, for their first Big Ten win. But, man, they've got losses to teams like Hartford and Radford and Merrimack. I don't know a lot about Northwestern, uh, Rob, and and so I'm expecting Iowa to go in and win this game, I guess, unless you tell me something in the next couple of minutes that, that <laughs> changes my mind. Well, we'll talk more about the Big Ten in a few minutes and, and kind of how crazy it's been and, and how um, dominant the home teams have been. I think there have been five losses by home teams this whole <laughs> this whole big 10 season. And yeah, it is still early, but that's not many. And, you know, we saw what happened in Lincoln, this Nebraska, this, excuse me, Northwestern team is very young and inexperienced, but it's starting to play better. Last week it went into Bloomington, um, and was leading Indiana by 10 points in the second half. Indiana came back and won, I think by four or five points, but it went down to the wire. And then they beat Nebraska, as you said, on Saturday, would have been better when if Iowa got the Northwestern team that lost to Merrimack, I think, for the first game of the year. That team was not very good. This team's starting to figure itself out a little bit. I still think Iowa is a superior team with the two best players on the floor, but this is a tricky spot. It's going to take Iowa playing well. I just I think if you go on the road in this league and play poorly, you risk coming away with a loss. So hopefully Iowa builds on what it was able to do against Maryland in terms of figuring out how to counter how teams are defending Luca Garza. Um, but who knows? Maybe maybe Northwestern comes up with another gimmicky trick defense against him and, you know, takes it takes Iowa a while to um, – 
to adjust. But Iowa's clearly the better team here, but I'm just I'm hesitant to, to chalk anything up in this league when, when it's a road game. Yeah, and, and then the, you wrap up the week, uh, another Friday night date at Carver-Hawkeye Arena, and uh, just coming in, this will not be a, a matchup of ranked teams, at least not in the AP Top 25 poll. Michigan is ranked 19th. Iowa, once again, the first team receiving votes just out of the Top 25, so uh, effectively, effectively 26th. You got the poll came out. Yep, yep, just just came out right now. Okay. So uh, Iowa, kind of the same spot they were a week ago. Uh, the first team receiving votes outside of the top twenty-five. Uh, so that that's too bad. I thought Iowa would would break into that into that break back into that top twenty-five. I should say, uh, but they will host the now nineteenth-ranked Michigan Wolverines, and it'll be interesting to see if uh, if Luca Garza can have the type of game he had uh, in Ann Arbor when he went for what forty-four points. And and even though uh, Iowa lost that game, uh, he looked great. Iowa's defense did not look great in that game. Gave up over 100 points to Michigan. So that'll be an interesting game uh, again on Friday night at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. Yeah, and Michigan's really struggled with defending post players, Andrew. I don't know if you caught any of the Minnesota game yesterday. Did, yeah. They lost at Minnesota. Daniel Arturo scored a career high. I think it was 31-33 points, Minnesota's big man. Um, and other big men in the league this year, and th- there are a lot of good ones. But Michigan's really struggled to defend the post this year, and that surprises me with Teske. I thought they would be better, and Jawan Howard being the coach, but they have struggled in that area. So I would expect Luka to have another good game. It's going to be a matter of the the guys around him, but looking forward to both of the games this week. Yeah, you talk about the Big Ten. The Big Ten has just it's been wild this year. Yesterday, Minnesota beats Michigan. Uh, Purdue beat Michigan State by 29 points. Uh, you know, Saturday, Indiana beat Ohio State. Ohio State's second straight loss there. Wisconsin won at ranked Penn State. I think that was Penn State's second straight loss. Uh, home court is is has been very important in the Big Ten so far this season. If I was shooting well, I, th- I think they can beat anybody in this league. If not, I think they can probably lose to anybody in this league. Yeah, without question. And I, th- I think tomorrow night will be a good litmus test for that at, yeah. Nebraska, or at Northwestern because th- we talked about it, I think, in our previous podcast. There aren't a lot of what you would call – favorable road games in the league this year. No. But Northwestern and Nebraska are the two. Now, you've already lost the Nebraska one. you you got to kind of get this Northwestern one um, to, to kind of redeem yourself a little bit. So tomorrow is really huge. And, and you look at the standings, Andrew, you've got, you know, Michigan State at 5-1 and one atop. Um, definitely an improved Illinois team. I've been impressed with them this year at 4-2. and two. Then you have 10 teams either – at three and two, three and three, or two and three, wow. and then you go down to Ohio State and Northwestern are each one and four. <laughs> <laughs> so, just uh, this is going to be a gauntlet this year in this league. Yeah, Ohio State, who was ranked eleventh last week, is now one and four and in the basement of the Big Ten alongside Northwestern. You're exactly right, and it, it, you're, it makes tomorrow night's game at Northwestern that much more important. Uh, you don't want to fall out of this kind of pack in the middle of this league. You're probably not going to climb up to the top of the standings, but man, if you can stay right in this kind of middle area and and make a run towards the end of the, the Big Ten season, um, I, I still, I'm, I'm going to say it again, I, th- I think this is a tournament team that the Hawkeyes have. I agree, and I think, I don't know if the Big Ten championship is a realistic goal, but we just talked about how wide open this thing is, and you win tomorrow night at Northwestern, then you've got Michigan at home, 
I believe Rutgers at home and then Wisconsin at home. Three straight, you know, home games against teams that are in that, you know, that middle with you. So, yeah, this next, these next four games will let us know, will tell us a lot about maybe where this season is headed. Hmm. It's been fun so far, that's for sure. I'm, I'm excited about this week and, and, and the rest of it. We have some football things to talk about. We're going to do that on the other side of this break on the HawkeyeNation.com podcast. Nothing says home more than family and friends around the table, especially when the food is from Fairway. High-quality hand-cut meats, fresh produce, and affordable pricing. Be sure you're ready for family by stocking up on everything from the best possible source. Refreshingly Fairway. All right, back, Hawkeye Nation podcast, Andrew Downs, Rob Howe, and, and let's move to football a little bit here. Uh, Rob, obviously not not going to be – well, there's going to be some news here in the in the early going uh, with football, and we've had some news in the last week or so, but we're going to try to to weave a little football talk into just about every one of these podcasts as uh, as we know that – that it, it, it's a it's a year round sport at this point. Um, it does kind of feel weird that the national championship game is tonight. It feels like the the college football season should have been over by now, but uh, nonetheless, that is still happening. Uh, some of the news that came out last week. We'll, we'll start with Geno Stone. He has decided to forego his senior season and head to the NFL. Um, I don't know the NFL draft well enough, or or really uh, that position well enough to to give any sort of. You know, great thoughts on on where he will go or what type of pro he will be, but um, not not real surprise after some of the coverage leading up to the Holiday Bowl and then in, in the post game with the Holiday Bowl that that Gino decided to make this decision. Yeah, um, I, I sense that um, in interviewing him, uh, I believe for the bowl after they, the bowl was announced. That was the first time I had a chance to ask him about it, and I really got the sense then that he was leaning that way. And then talking to him after the bowl game, I really got the sense that he was leaning that way. And I haven't talked to him about this yet. And I hope to at some point, but I, what my feeling is for him is, you know, he's a, he's a five, 10, five, 11, six foot, 200, 205 pound defensive back who runs a four, six. None of that is really going to change if he were to come back for his senior year Mm. so from him his perspective he's probably thinking let me take my shot now Um, let me bet on myself now rather than putting more miles on my body in college and we saw with Desmond King coming back that it didn't really help him so I'm sure that was probably in the back of Gino's mind and the only thing that I've seen, Andrew, um, I think it's Pro Football Focus had a had, they tweeted something out last week, and I retweeted it and put it on our message board. They they studied some film of Geno, and they really liked his production and said he's somebody that that's rising up in terms of the draft. Now, I don't know how much their numbers and that metrics, you know, the metrics and analytics factor into that for general managers. He just really needs to find one team that that likes him, and that's kind of how this thing works with the NFL. You get one team that really likes you and gives you a chance and selects you, kind of like C.J. Beathard with the 49ers. Nobody saw C.J. going that high in the draft, but the 49ers really liked him and took him there. So obviously these postseason workouts for Geno are going to be really important, and I wouldn't bet against him. I wouldn't bet against one of Phil Parker's defensive backs. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. <laughs> uh, you know, we I I will say I expect Epinesa and Tristan Wirfs to to both also join Geno Stone and go to pro. I think their their deadline is January twentieth. 
I agree with you that they're going to come out. I think they have to have the information, their paperwork in that they declare on the 17th. And then I think the NFL releases the list on the 20th. Gotcha. Gotcha. See, I, I, I expect them to, to join Gino. And that should come at some point this week. I'm not sure when, if they'll go right up to the deadline. I'm really not sure why they're waiting. Yeah. Um, maybe they're waiting till after the you know the national championship game's over. I really haven't reached out because I've kind of tried to give these guys and their families distance. I don't like to intrude on the process until after it's over and the decisions have been made. But I'm thinking it's coming soon. Well, let's assume that, that they're both leaving. And if they do, that's nine players in three seasons now uh, for Iowa that, that have left early. This is the new normal. This is, uh, this is what you can expect, I think, I think going forward here. Uh, we're just going to see more and more of this. And it's a credit to Kirk Ferentz and Phil Parker and that whole staff to take, especially some of these guys who weren't highly recruited and uh, maybe changed positions at some point. So, but but to, to send nine players into the NFL with eligibility remaining in just three seasons, is, uh, it's, it's remarkable, but it's also something that we should all get used to. Yeah, it's without question the trend, Andrew. And we used to say, you know, when we would talk about these, you know, circumstances at the end of the season for for these potential draft picks, you know, your first or second round high, you know, high draft pick, you go. Now it's not that way. I mean, the guys, uh, Hooker and Anthony Nelson came out last year, went in the fourth round, and I believe signed, signing bonus is somewhere between a half a million dollars and $750,000. That's a lot of money. Yes. That is a lot of money in a, in a sport that's unforgiving and really bangs your body up. And you just don't know how long you're going to have. So we're going to see guys like Geno Stone taking their shots earlier now than maybe we did five years ago. So it's incumbent upon Iowa. And fortunately for the Hawkeyes, they're very good at player development and strength and conditioning to get guys ready or, or ready earlier, excuse me, in their careers to play. And we're seeing that more and more, Andrew, on, on Iowa. We're seeing younger guys contribute. We saw it with, um, you know, a Dane Belton this year coming in at the cash position. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum starting at center as a redshirt freshman. We're seeing guys, and the list goes on and on, but we're seeing guys contribute earlier in their careers now. Another piece of news that came out this past week for the the Iowa football team, Peyton Manziel uh, transferring out. No, no real surprise there, right? No, the only thing that I was wondering is if he would go through the spring ball just to see, take another run at it and see maybe if he could win it. But um, he must have felt that now was the time to get to another school. He's trans- transferring to Abilene, Texas Christian, uh, an FCS school where he can play right away, and he'll get in there now. He, I think he enrolled today, as a matter of fact, and will get working there and get into their spring practice and probably look to, to win that job and maybe have two years to play there. So good luck to him. Um, I, I think he realized that he was up against it, you know, and it was an uphill battle to, to, be, to beat out Spencer Petrus, who beat him out this fall for that second spot. So another, we talk about trends, Andrew, this is the trend now in college football. We saw Ryan Boyle leave and Tyler Wiggers and Jake Rudock and Cody Sokol. And all those guys have kind of moved on and, and had success at their next schools. So it's pretty much the, it's a revolving door now at quarterback. I think, was it Georgia that grabbed the guy from Georgia tech or um, Wake Forest? Yes. 
So, I mean, yeah, you saw Jalen Hurts. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's just – Joe Burrow. This quarterback, yeah, it's, it's kind of the – it's a free agent market with quarterbacks nowadays. And if guys aren't – don't feel like they have a chance to get that job within like the first two or three years on campus, if that long, they're out. Uh, other transfers expected at, at all? Like, I guess, are you hearing anything? Would you – is there anybody who would transfer that you would not be surprised to see go? Um, I'm trying to think perhaps a running back. Um, you know, you see a true freshman like Tyler Goodson come in and win the starting job. Does a Torin Young or a Makai Sargent or an Ivory Kelly Martin look and say, listen, I'm not going to get the carries here that I want. Uh, Torin Young could probably, and, and Makai Sargent could probably be graduate transfers. Um, maybe Ivory Kelly Martin goes down a level cause he's already burned his red shirt this past year. All the, all those guys have actually burned the red shirt. So possibility there Maybe in the defensive backfield, uh, we're starting to get a log jam there. When you t- talk about, you know, Hankins coming back, Raleigh Moss, DJ Johnson, uh, Julius Brents, Kavon Merriweather's back. I mean, there's a lot, there, there are a lot of bodies in that Terry Roberts. There's a lot of bodies in that secondary that I might keep an eye on. Um, so a couple positions there where I might keep an eye on maybe guys, but it'll be interesting to see if some of those guys may not go through spring practice to kind of see where they stand. Mm. You know, we, we wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, things in the off season that we're, we're going to be, we're going to be looking at. Um, I guess, is there, is there a position group? Is there a certain thing that you're, uh, really kind of looking for this off season with, when it comes to the football team, um, of, I guess what, where you're looking for them to develop or, or what you're most interested in, maybe what's most important for them to develop. Uh, I guess ho- however you want to take that, Rob, <laughs> <laughs> I give you about 12 options there. Um, what, what, what are you looking at here? Yeah, and I hit you with this before the podcast, so you need more time to think about, about this <laughs> uh, as an angle. Well, I think the obvious one is quarterback, so let's put that to the back burner because we're going to be talking about that all off season, aren't guess, we? Yeah, yes. And I, I guess quickly, as we sit here today, is is Spencer Petrus the clear number one guy now? Without question, okay. the leader okay. in the clubhouse. Yeah. And I would give uh, Deuce Hogan, the incoming freshman, a little bit more of a chance to push him if he were coming in here at semester. Okay, he is not. He won't be here till June. So that just gives. And I, I'm not sure if everybody realizes this, but this is Spencer's third spring. He enrolled early, so this will be his third spring in the Iowa program. Mm. Um, Alex Padilla, who's a, uh, um, a freshman as well this year, uh, a true freshman, he enrolled last January, so this is his second spring. So th- th- where there might be some nervousness that you have inexperience at this position, at least these are two guys that have some time in the, in the program, in the system, to have learned it. So I feel a little bit better about that, but I'm sure we'll dive a lot deeper into the quarterbacks as we move on. But definitely Spencer leader Spencer Petrus is the leader in the clubhouse by far. All right, where, where else are you looking? Well, I, I, I don't want to steal both of these, so I will go <laughs> um, I'm, I'll go with the defensive line. Okay. And I'll leave I'll leave the other side of the ball for you. You lose Epinesa after losing, and, and you talked to this. You spoke to this Andrew about guys leaving early for the NFL. You had Nelson leave early, Anthony Nelson leave early the year before, and then you also lost Parker Hesse, um, Sam Brinks, and Matt Nelson off the defensive line. So in co- if you look collectively, then you add in Cedric Lattimore and Brady Reef, who started at tackle this year. How many is that? I lost track. Seven, <laughs> eight guys. Yeah. 
that started the last two years on the defensive line. So you're, you're breaking in a new de- starting defensive end opposite Chauncey Golston, who, God, I'm sure <laughs> sure Kelvin Bell and Phil Parker are just ecstatic that that kid decided not to test the NFL <laughs> and come back because that's he's going to be a, a huge key part of this defensive line. If A.J. leaves and we both expect him to leave, you're, you're breaking in a new defensive end in his spot and then two starting defensive tackles that will be new. So that, to me, everything starts up front for Iowa. Defensive line development this offseason, and maybe they go graduate transfer route, Andrew, or you know, um, junior college or some way to supplement that defensive line because there's still a lot of youth there behind guys like I, – I, 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 Really like Davion Nixon. I, I think he steps in at defensive tackle and is a force right away. I think Austin Schulte is a good rotational guy at defensive tackle. I think the same for Noah Shannon. But after that, you just don't know what you have. And then the defensive end, Van Valkenburg and Wagner, really didn't show enough this year to to get reps away from AJ and Chauncey. They really for this season we saw a lot more, a lot less of a rotation at defensive end than we had in the previous couple years. Those guys really need to move forward. And then some of those younger guys behind them. So defensive line for me is the area that I have my focus on here in spring to see how things develop and how things shake out. Well, I'll take the other side of the ball then. As you, as you said, everything for Iowa starts up front. That's defensively and offensively. We saw this season uh, what can happen to a team when, when the offensive line isn't isn't meshing, isn't jellying. Uh, you know, we saw that in the especially in that Michigan game in that second half of that game where uh, Nate Stanley just could not get any time to throw the ball, uh, and the the interior of that offensive line really kind of fell apart for a few games. You get Alaric Jackson back, which is fantastic, something that I don't think anybody expected uh, to, to kind of anchor that line. But how does this then all come together? How do you replace a Tristan Wirfs? Uh, how, how do guys like Linderbaum and Schott uh, develop uh, both physically and mentally in this offseason? Um, can this line find itself and, and get back to a uh, the type of offensive line that we're used to seeing uh, under Kirk Ferentz at Iowa? It's going to be interesting to see – I. There, there may be some new names there, but I, I think it's just uh, Rob. It's always just been a an assumed thing that Iowa will have a great offensive line. At least for me, it's always been something that even if they have pieces to replace, even if guys go early to the NFL, well, the guys behind them are are great also, and and Kirk and the coaching staff are so good at this that it's it's never been a worry for me. But there were parts of this season where it was a, a real uh, deficiency for this team. So it'll be very interesting to see how how they gel and, and kind of who steps up and, and what this line looks like next season. Yeah, I would agree. And to build off that, we always talk about, you know, the Jimmys and the Joes are more important than the X's and the O's. <laughs> yep. But I wonder, and I know you've talked you guys have talked about this and thought about this. The zone blocking scheme, yep. I- I'm wondering if they don't tweak that a little bit this offseason, not completely go away from it, but maybe mix in some more hat on hat, mix in some more blocking schemes to maybe throw defenses off a little bit, maybe run a little RPO, do some different things to be less predictable and help those offensive linemen and help the skill players to open things up a little bit. But you're right. Can Kallenberger kick out and be that right tackle? Mm. Is it Jack Plum? Who's going to work in on the inside? You've got Kyler Schott. You've got Cody Ince. 
You've got, um, you know, Justin Britt is a guy who they really like this year, was a true freshman. Cole Bamwart's coming back off a leg injury. Right with you, Andrew. I took the defensive side of the ball because I think there are a lot of questions (laughs) on that line. But agree with you, there's an awful lot of questions on the offensive line, too. And that's where it all starts for Iowa, right? It does. It absolutely does. All right, Rob, especially especially with a new quarterback. Uh, right. yeah, it's it's going to be – and a quarterback with a lot of weapons, and I think there will be high expectations for this team coming into next season, and those lines are going to really have to be solid uh, pretty quickly next season to, to get Iowa to where, where we all want Iowa to be. Rob, what do you have coming up uh, this week? I know there's a couple basketball games. You, you got to – a Bruner podcast. Uh, obviously, you're going to have a lot of stuff on, on HawkeyeNation.com. What should people be looking out for? Yeah, we'll have a preview of, of tomorrow's game. I'll have that up this afternoon. Maybe a little write-up on the, the C.J. Frederick news, too, just with the, the quotes from Fran. Uh, then we'll have a game story from tomorrow night. Um, podcasts, as you said, I'll probably do with Brun- one with Bruner. May have a, another prospect podcast this week. Awesome. I uh, did one with Mason Richmond last week. People should check that out. He's an engaging kid. He's coming in and he's enrolling uh, early at, at Iowa, offensive lineman from Kansas. Uh, then we'll have coverage um, from Friday night's um, Michigan game. And then I think wrestling is home against. Nebraska on Saturday, if I if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you realize Andrew, Iowa wrestled twice this weekend and did not lose a match. That's incredible. <laughs> they That's did amazing. not lose a match. Ten and zero on the road. This this feels like the year, doesn't it? It does. It, I, I was wondering if it might be one more year before they got to Penn State, but this team is looking really dominant. Ah, uh, we we need it. We need it. And that and that Penn State run. Uh, all right, I, I don't know. You know, we've done some some instant reaction podcasts. I I don't want to set up the expectation we're gonna do that for every basketball game or anything. Uh, it may just be kind of a feel thing. You know, on, on Tuesday night we'll kind of see how it goes. Same thing with with Friday after the Michigan game. But we'll certainly be doing those. I always enjoyed listening to those when when John did them, and so I, I try to give those to people uh, whenever possible. If you you want to let us know what you want to hear on the next edition of this podcast or anything we're doing at Hawkeye Nation. You can always find us on Twitter or check out all of Rob's fantastic work at HawkeyeNation.com. Rob, this was fun again, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew. We'll talk to you soon, man.